0: Welcome to another episode of Infinity X, where we give a stage and microphone to human excellence in the pursuit of never-ending opportunities and merging ecosystems with world-renowned entrepreneurs and influencers. Now, here's your host, David
1: Harder. From the Epic Productions podcast studios here in Red Bank, New Jersey, in the Howard Halls of Epic Financial Strategies, this is Infinity X, where we give a stage and microphone to human excellence in the endless pursuit of creating infinite sales opportunities and merging ecosystems with incredible megapreneurs, people like Brian Goldstein, who is joining us this evening. We have the honor and privilege of welcoming Brian. Brian, are you with us? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yes, sir, can. How are you doing tonight, Brian? Ed, how are you doing this evening? Wonderful, wonderful. Welcome to We Are Infinity X. Folks, this is Brian Goldstein, um, the head janitor, right? <laughs> Love that. Uh, amongst so many other things, 1.5 million followers on Instagram doing unbelievable things in the world. And uh, Brian, it's just so great to have you with us here this evening. How are you, brother? I appreciate you having me on here doing well. Excellent. Excellent. So, you know, we always start off with the personal journey of human excellence, right? I always say that to know where you know where you're going, you got to know where you're from. So Brian, where did it all start for you? So
0: I come from an interesting background. I came from a household filled with drug abuse, alcohol abuse and physical abuse. And that kind of makes you into a turtle growing up because of seeing all of that. You just don't want to interact with a lot of people. And I kind of kept my circle really small growing up. I didn't bring people over because I didn't want people knowing what I was dealing with at home. And I really pushed through that. And high school, I had three, four friends that I talked to. I knew everybody, um, but I always kept my circle small and started my first business. Then I started a car wash while I was in high school, detailing, detailing exotic cars, charging 400 bucks back in 2000. Um huh. and from there it evolved into the pharmaceutical world, working with my parents, taking over the family business, running that, and then it's just morphed between social media, playing with cars, playing with guns, um, different companies that have kind of offset from different channels I've met. So I'm not, you know, when I say head janitor, I'm the king of cleaning up messes because usually when they're calling me, it's clean up a mess, not <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, here's <laughs> this good news today. I'm like, fuck, you guys, ever- fuck. good news yeah those things um, that's why my title's head janitor you call me to i've had staff call me and say the toilet's backed up come fix it i'm like fine bro really hi (laughs) i'll I'll do it like i'm not opposed to any job it's just
1: like really you couldn't just think call a plumber (laughs) (laughs) well listen then success leaves clues right so you're in high school right there's a little bit there's a little bit of chaos happening well and you know you're keeping yourself. one thing
0: special ed from sixth grade through my first year of high school, uh, first year of college.
1: Say, repeat that brother.
0: I was in special education from sixth grade through my first year of college.
1: Incredible. Incredible. Yet you persevered straight throughout. Yep.
0: And I didn't let it hold me back. You know, obviously when you're in special ed in those schools, you get made fun of cause you're in a special classroom. So everybody knows what you're in there for during that time.
1: And you know, as, as a parent of a, uh, of a son with special needs, um, I can identify with that, you know, and my great fear is that the social interaction is going to be a challenge because of his specific difficulties with language and with articulation. Um, Were those things that you experienced and how did you persevere through those? So I had a lot of problems, like when the teacher would ask me to read out loud,
0: like I could read everything, but I wouldn't retain the knowledge. I was so focused on reading the words on the piece of paper to making sure it sounds great and not retaining the knowledge and that was my biggest thing and so we took you know in school they'd have you read something and then there'd be a quiz on it and you just blank out and I'd fail it and my parents are like oh let's send you to testing let's send you to this send you to that and finally they figured out I'm dyslexic with a little ADD and just the social awkwardness of my childhood um, really changed things so I was able as an adult to grow through it and it took time and even as even as an adult, I still have stage fright. And when Dan Fleischman calls me and says, Hey, come talk to 500 people. <laughs> to how many? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I got to like pep talk myself through it right before it and Dan gets it. So he kind of helps ease me through
1: it. Yep. Yep. And so I'm curious though. So as you're going through that, when did you make the decision to launch the w- launch the car wash and how did you, how did you start it? And then how did you gain marketing and notoriety behind it? So
0: I was always into cars. Um, mm-hmm. I remember one of my special ed teachers in like the ninth grade saying, hey, I'm teaching you to work for somebody else, not for yourself. I got in a lot of shit for what came out of my mouth next. I was like, <laughs> fuck you. I'm getting an empire handed to me. I'll figure it out.
1: I ah, yeah, box.
0: yeah, okay. And I was like, yeah. what? She's teaching me to work for someone else. I don't want to be somebody's bitch. And that's kind of how I left it. And from there, I was just like, I'm not going to let what this lady said stay true. And the detail shop I used to work with went out of business because of a landlord issue and a partner issue. So I called him up and I was like, Hey, look, you want to restart it? Um, I don't have much money. I'm in high school. I got like a thousand bucks, but let's get together and figure out how we can market this and grow it and started doing flyers, going to the car meets, telling people who detailed my car or so on and yeah. so forth and really built it from the ground up. And then Right before I got out of high school, I exited that because I didn't really want to wash any more cars.
1: I feel you. <laughs> I feel you. But uh, but your love for cars and your passion for cars rang true up into the point where you became a professional car driver, right? You're a professional race car driver as well. Right. Um, but have- did you end up selling? Go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: Oh, no. uh, I had a bad crash end of 17. So the wife doesn't really want me getting back in it. Like I'll go practice, but racing through Mexico, I have a newborn like that. I don't know if I really want to put my life on the line at that level.
1: Yeah, you know, Brian, I'll tell you what, one of the most difficult life insurance situations that I was ever a part of is when we underwrote about $10 million worth of life insurance on somebody who was a former race car driver and um, said on his life insurance application, no, I... I'm retired, I have no intention of racing cars, right? And six months later, he dies in a car crash and that was contested for two years. So um, I, from a risk management perspective, I can <laughs> kind of identify with what your wife is referring to brother, but um, oh, so yeah. I, mam- I can't even imagine what type of a rush that it is to, to, to race a car though, it must be absolutely incredible.
0: And growing up in the household I grew up in, drugs and alcohol were so readily available, it didn't interest me. So for me, it's what's the next thing to give me that rush? And it yeah. was adrenaline, you know, racing motorcycles, racing cars, doing dumb
1: stuff. Never jumped out of a plane, but you know,
0: there's always time for that one.
1: Oh, absolutely! Now that there's, uh, <laughs> as long as there's air in the lungs, you know, there's air up there, right? So, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so, so you sell the car business, right? And um, and then, did you move directly into your family's pharmaceutical company, or what happened next? So the
0: day I graduated high school, my dad tossed me the keys, said, "Hey, I found a new wife. I'm moving to Minnesota." figure it out. Oh man. The fuck. You mean figure it out? I'm 17 and a half years old and you want me to run a couple million dollar company. <laughs> okay. I will figure it out and I'm good at marketing. So I just went back to my roots and tried to figure out how to market services and do that. And I grew the company by four X in the first six months, let's call it. Wow. All it was is I didn't understand accounts payable. Oh and, boy. And our accounts payable was net 15, and we didn't accounts receivable was net 90. Mm. So you can mm. see where the financial crunch came into play very quickly when I started owing different wholesalers millions of dollars and then trying to go to banks and say, Look, I have all this business. They're like, You're 17, 18 years old. We're not giving you a line of credit for $2 million. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you mean? Like, I have all this business. We don't care. Figure it out. Yep. Leveraged credit cards played the game and really figured it out to make it work and grew that from a small company to a very large company over the course of the next decade. And um, it's had its ups and downs, lawsuits, whatnot. Um, Now I'd rather do the social media space, the gun space, Um, still playing in the automotive space with apparel and whatnot, and venturing into an app with some friends around cars.
1: But Trying to figure out the next move right now, don't really have an answer. I love it. I love it. And let's just play in the space of the pharmaceutical company, right, for a second. So, what do you remember most vividly about that first year in terms of the decisions that you made? Because, listen, at, at 17, right, you're obviously incredibly impressionable, right? You know, I mean, you don't you know, you don't really know shit from Sherlock when it comes to really high level business decision-making, I would suggest at that point, but you got trial by fire. So what were some of the things that you did in the first year that stick out? You're super proud of, and then things that you would have done completely differently. So the biggest hurdle I would say is getting staff
0: members that are triple your age to listen to you. That Mm was for sure the hardest, and I don't have an easy way to do that today. Even it's, you know, you got to earn the respect to get it. But at some points you got to crack the whip and just be like, look, I'm the boss. This is what I need. And sorry, I know you don't like it, but we have no choice. This is what has to be done. And really setting that line in the road. Um, Looking back, I would have slowed down the growth. So I didn't have to deal with all those credit card interest rates and all that other stuff to get through it. But I would have just slowed it down from six months of growth to pace it out over a year so we could afford the growth.
1: Yeah, yeah. And 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 as a result of that speeded growth though, um what's in, what's advice because we have a whole bunch of entrepreneurs, business owners. And by the way, folks, thank you so much for tuning into Infinity X where we give a stage and microphone to human excellence. We're joined by we're joined tonight by the one and only Brian Goldstein who is doing absolutely incredible things in the space of cars, in the space of social media, um in the space of um what else Brian I mean, it, it, you mentioned um uh, uh Cars, apps, guns, guns. guns. Yeah, we got to build on the guns here. For- <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we might go on. <laughs> we might go live to a shooting range here at this point. But folks, I mean this is the opportunity to have conversation with somebody who is running a multimillion dollar pharmaceutical for pharmaceutical company at 17, somebody who has grown to 1.5 million with an m million followers on instagram he's obviously doing massive massive things so if you have a question for brian please put it in the chat um, we'll be happy to recognize it um, if there's time uh for extensive q a at the end we will but um <clears throat> Brian as, as as you continued to grow and continue to scale um what were some areas that you identified you know from a staffing perspective that you had to focus that you had to focus on most heavily inside of the company
0: so even till this day my biggest thing is customer service there's That's always true. just a lack of and people not wanting to do extra of oh i did my job i'm like yeah but did you really do your job to the fullest Or are you only giving me 40% every day? And that's always been a thing on customer attention of, hey, did you reach out to that customer 10 days after? Did you reach out to them 30 days after when it's time to touch them again? And are you getting all those touch points? And that's probably the biggest hurdle I've had to deal with in the last 17 years of doing it, of just staying on top of customer service. Like Anytime you have an issue with Amazon, okay, fine, as long as you're not abusing it, No questions asked, swapped out credit, whatever it might be. And that's what I try to instill in my staff of, look, these people don't feel good. They're calling you. They're grumpy. They're going to be in a bad mood. Unfortunately,
1: you got to take it and you got to deal with it with ease and be political and be nice. Would you fashion yourself as a business owner, a business operator or both? And tell me why. I like to
0: be the guy behind the scenes. So I'd say business owner. Got it. Got it. And what is it
1: about what is it about that that you prefer?
0: Because of my childhood, my anger management sometimes steps in and I'll snap too quickly dealing with something. So I'd rather have the buffer. I know what I want executed. And I put people above me, below me that I know I can snap at, but it won't come back to bite me in the ass versus going after a customer, a doctor or whatever it might be. And, or even a state regulatory agency. I'm not afraid to push back, but my big mouth sometimes gets me into too much trouble.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Where, where's your business domicile?
0: Uh, we're in California, so uh, based out of California. Gotta love all the rules and regulations I deal with out here.
1: Yeah, you know, I was uh, listen, and I'm sure that has only gotten exacerbated since COVID happened. Hey, when yeah. When the pandemic came, did you experience growth or slowdown? Like what happened during pandemic for you guys?
0: It took a 25% hit because people lost their health insurance. People, they thought going on unemployment would be a good idea, but they didn't realize what they lost in the process. Yeah. And a lot of people were stretching their money to go farther, or as we saw in Los Angeles, just all the fraud and people blowing their money on silly, stupid luxury items instead of saving it for what they really need. Like people are calling us saying, oh, I don't need my blood pressure meds. I'll stretch it two months." Uh, it's your blood pressure. You can't really stretch
1: it too much. <laughs> you can stretch that into the grave, you know? <laughs> yeah.
0: And so it was just, yeah, we saw a decline in the healthcare industry across. Plus like kids aren't getting sick because they're not going out. Um, yeah, we have COVID, but they're not coming to me for COVID. That's hospital or whatever else related. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a lot of the normal stuff we deal with went out the window, the flu, colds kids getting hurt, playing around, like all of that is just gone.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, listen, as a result, I mean, we went into, and I ask this question to business owners all the time, but I always, always, always want to seek the opinion of people who are, have been there, done that, doing it at a ultra high level, um, and are doing it specifically in a field that you're operating in, where there's so much regulation to begin with. Right. But going into COVID-19, going into it, United States has a $27 trillion deficit, right? Um, mm-hmm. Revenue per, di- you know, revenue per citizen is like $11,000, right? So, you know, wildly out of whack in terms of debt to equity that the U.S. is raising, right? So we had economic challenges even going into the pandemic for a variety of reasons, I would argue, but then the pandemic just exacerbates all of that, right? And makes so many changes um, between governmental spending, Right uh, re- you know regulation in medical, regulation on uh, vaccine requirements, right? These are things that you are, I'm sure constantly dealing with. But what are some pivots that you inserted um, as a business owner in the, in the vertical that you operate in now that you think have been a real benefactor or benefit to the continued, you know, growth of the company post pandemic? I'd say the
0: biggest thing is anticipating growth. And if you anticipate it and you have the stockpile of everything and you have the extra cash to stock up on certain things, you know, you're going to sell, go for it. Like when PPE started to go through the roof, I'm like, no, 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 no. I go through thousands of dollars of PPE a day. Mm. And what do you mean? it just Forex. So instead of buying half pallets, we started buying three pallets and just stocking up on everything. And we made sure at one point, I think we had 14 months worth of PPE Mm -hmm. at the current burn rate, plus a little added extra 10% for cushion just to accommodate because without the PPE, I'm out of business because I can't go do stuff. And so anticipating certain drugs, other supplies, we just had to go in and stock up and just really pay attention to a lot of it.
1: Folks, this is Brian Goldstein. We are Infinity X giving stage and microphone to human excellence. And so Brian, what do you see coming down the pipeline that are challenges, they could be tax challenges, they could be, um, you know, they could be monetary challenges, they could be regulatory challenges for a company like yours and for businesses in general.
0: So, not to be a worry board, but I feel like a collapse is coming one way or another. Hmm. California gas is $5.55.
1: Yeah. Transitory,
0: right? Transitory inflation. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And people forget that this bottle of water that was normally a dollar is now a dollar 50 and then so on and so forth. The domino effect and people don't want to work and you're going into restaurants and they only have half the servers. And I feel like we're going to have a major supply chain issue, especially with everything sitting at port right now, along with people aren't spending money like they're with the inflation, everything they're worried you don't see as many cars on the road and all of that stuff. So I really see some type of crash imminent. And if that happens, then people aren't going to be getting their meds, so on and so forth. Um, I'm in the process of trying to exit anyways, but that's unrelated to the pandemic. I'm just over the industry and the regulations. Um, and then being forced in California to tell people what they can and can't do to their body just doesn't make me feel warm and fuzzy.
1: I love that. And I support that 300%. Um let's go to some of the other activities now to kind of pivot away for a moment because you you're a born entrepreneur right you know you've always been somebody who's either running your own business or looking to operate or create a new business so as you're running the pharma company and by the way what is the name of your uh, of your company rx unlimited rx unlimited so as you're growing rx right you're running rx you identify, was it, was it, was it car racing that you identified that you wanted to move into or was it guns? A little bit of both. So let's build out the car racing for a moment. So tell me a little bit more about that. So I professionally race Baja through middle
0: Mm. of Mexico from start to finish in the middle of nowhere. Uh, the races are as short as 300 miles as long as 1100 miles. And so from that aspect, it's, you know, it's challenging. It, there's nobody there to really support you. Yeah, you have your team, but it's you and the co-driver in the road and you got to figure it out. And I just enjoy being able to disconnect from life and focus on something for the moment versus me sitting idle in a movie or anything. My brain's always going a mile a minute on, excuse me, can I do this? Can I do that? Oh, I just thought of this idea for that. So, um, the racing, I have plenty of opportunities for sponsorship and doing other big things because of the size of my social media presence. It's not just Instagram's 1.5 million, but YouTube's 300,000. Mm. Those two, you know, I got 1.8 million. So for me, it's I can swing that weight to get sponsors to get them the brand exposure they really want.
1: Sure. And with 300,000 subscribers, which is no Joke, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Three hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube doesn't happen by accident. Um, that you know, your outreach is probably a million people on a on. Have you done that? Have you done the? You done the um, yeah, so, kpis on, on that.
0: A week on Instagram, my average reach is one point four million. And that's <laughs> just posting Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I suck at stories, um, <laughs> and one YouTube a week that gets a reach of about a hundred thousand ish. So, you know, I'm reaching 1.3 million people every week based on four posts.
1: We have a question that came in for Parker Russo. The question for you, brother, is where is where are you a creative director and what does that business look like?
0: So creative director falls on different fronts. It can be in your business where you got to get creative on the marketing materials and all of that. Uh, but the biggest thing is I'm constantly creating social media content where I have the video guy, but he's not there to be the creative director. I have to sit there, plan it out, script it, go over what we want to go over. And some days we just wing it, but there's still a major creative side to it that you have to be creative on.
1: Let's, um, let's go, let's go to the guns. Cause I'm dying to know. <laughs> so <laughs> to, tell me a little bit more about what the focal point was. When did you start shooting guns? And when did you just like, is it a full-time business? Like, what does that structure look like?
0: So I'm sponsored by several different manufacturers across the boards in the outdoors world. Um, I don't know, five, six years ago, I started to stray away from cars because I didn't like some of the people in the community and just said, hey, let me just disappear for a while and go do my own thing that people aren't doing and started playing with the guns small time. And then companies started reaching out and I started getting a fair amount of traction and I was able to really make a dent in the industry. So now I go to a lot of these gun events and they're like, oh, you're Brian? yeah, they're like, but you're so normal. I'm like, I'm a business guy. (laughs) And that's the part a lot of influencers forget is you have to understand the business side when you're reaching out to these companies, because it has to make sense for them financially. You know, they could give you a $1,000 gun, but my video guy is a thousand bucks a day. So how do you cover that? And how do you ask that company for money? And so it's been an always evolving process, finding managers to fit with it, And given the political territory I run in with playing with guns, finding a manager that wants to work with me is a whole nother nightmare.
1: Have you found, I was about to ask you about that. Have you had challenges with the NRA? Have you had challenges in the the political space in that business? No,
0: I've done a really good job of staying away from the political side. It's just Mm -hmm. finding the right manager that's cool with guns and able to reach out to these brands. And there really
1: is no one that exists like that currently that I've found. Got it. Um, yeah. And with social media, you know, because I know, again, you have to be incredibly neutral because you could always damage your brand. Right. Um, sure. But but when did you first I'm not going to even say stumble because stumble would be, you know, like, it's a, you know, it wasn't a calculated maneuver and it seems like everything that you do is calculated. But when did you first identify that um, marketing in a social media world uh, was going to be was going to be something that you were going to accelerate in? And where did you first start your focus? So I would say
0: 2014, I really figured it out when me and my friends started a car club called Cup Gang, which stands for Cars Unite People. Mm. And we were able to build the brand just off of posting, no paid advertisements, networking between the 12 of us. And we were able to generate $300,000 of sales on opening day of business. Holy cow. And, you know, with that many partners, it became an issue. So the company kind of wound down and got set on the back burner. But that's when I really realized what could be done with social media and the power of just networking with people. Forget paying for ads, forget all of that. It's truly networking and saying, hey, can you help me with this? I'll help you with that.
1: And what was the first platform that you really started to see success on? Uh, Instagram. Uh, Tell me more. Why was that? Uh, That was before they
0: throttled everything, before the timeline issues, um, when everything was chronological. And so we were really able to get that reach. And playing with cars, you don't really get shoved down the list versus guns. So it was a lot easier to network with people and just go to different car pages and say, hey, can you post me? I'll post you. Mm -hmm. And we were coming out with the most epic content at the time of cars that most people were never seeing, we were active at all the car meets. So everybody would see us, take photos of us, post us. And it was just that always evolving marketing. It wasn't just, oh, repost me. No, we were pounding the streets every Sunday, getting our name out there and building a brand right around it. And
1: was, have you exceeded your expectations for what was going to happen in your social media presence? Or as are, are you measured at expectations? Like what did you see coming down?
0: I didn't see where I'd be at today. Honestly, I thought social media would be fun and games and it's not going to turn into anything financially. Lo well, and behold, almost 10 years later, um, it's turning into something financially and it's turned into a much bigger beast in itself. And it's a business in itself. And people don't realize what a page, my size, I can't run all of it. There's video teams, there's editors, there's people helping with comments. There's people managing my DMS to say, Hey, you need to get back to this company or that company, the emails associated with. So it's literally a 40 hour a week job that most mm-hmm. people are like, well, you only post. So what's the big deal? Well, it's eight hours of filming. It's going over the edits. It's planning this, planning that. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. It's everybody wants to be a social media person, but they don't realize it is a business.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I got my first taste of that when one of our business partners is, uh, do you know Chris Crone? Yep. Yeah. So Chris is a business partner of ours and we speak on his stage when he runs his events. And um, we got <clears throat> we got the opportunity to, to really kind of spend a few days in a micro tank with him and his team. And we got to see all of you know, the analytics and everything that goes into what has been created there. And, you know, I've heard, the, I've heard the term post and pray a million different times, but it's so true. If you think that you're going to build a social media presence by just putting out a couple of posts and just focusing on answering your own DMS, you are out of your mind, right? Yeah. You got to. If you're just starting off or like
0: halfway into it, you got a thousand, two thousand 2000 followers, you should be posting three times a day. Posting story minimum six times a day and really getting out those messages that you want people to see and constantly getting in their face. So you stay in tune with the algorithm versus, oh, I'm just going to bust a Brian post Monday, Wednesday, Friday. (laughs) no if I want to grow, I have to go back to posting five times a week, doing the stories, doing all of that stuff. For me, I'm currently happy at 1.5. So I don't really put in the extra work just because I don't have the time.
1: Yeah, yeah. We are Infinity X, given stages and microphones to human excellence, folks. This is Brian Goldstein. If you have a message or a question for him in the chat, one of the questions that came in is from David Hammer. Will Brian ever consider moving out of California because of all the regulations taking place? Maybe pull a Joe Rogan.
0: I am for sure looking at Texas as we speak. Um, need to settle some legal matters out here before I can bail and exit some companies. But I am definitely after this last litigation I've been dealing with in California. I'm good. I want to go to a state that's less litigious and a lot easier to work with. And then uh, I see another question from Parker. Yep,
1: From Parker. Do you see that? Yep. Um, based on advertising. They do do keywords
0: and that is how they are. They're an algorithm behind blowing that up. Uh, it's, So there's certain apps out there. I don't really remember what they are, but you can Google search them on how to rip keywords that other people are using for their videos to get them to a higher reach level. Mm -hmm. And then you're able to copy those on your YouTube video or Instagram. And those apps have been around for a while. Same thing, you can do it on TikTok, all the platforms.
1: When did you move into public speaking?
0: Started that about three years
1: ago. What was your first opportunity and what was it like? Uh, I damn
0: near pooped my pants. It was only 30, 40 people and it was talking about business. And one of my friends wanted me to come to one of his talking seminars. and I was like, all right, I'll come.
1: Yeah.
0: And it was nerve wracking at first, but once I got into the group of it, just like talking with you right now, I zone everything out and do what I got to do. And I really look forward to the Q and a at the end of people asking questions, what they want to learn, what they want to grow on. And, you know, I, offer people to message me when they have simple questions and I'll gladly answer. Um, I'll have the team flag those messages so I can give back in certain ways because not everything has to be paid work. You know, I, I'm more than happy to give back a lot of the time.
1: What are some of the subject matter areas that you enjoy speaking about the most? Uh, the structure of a business
0: going through as many lawsuits as I've gone through and the size of lawsuits, making sure they're legally protected, making sure assets are covered. Um, so on and so forth, and really diving into the expenses, really understanding a P&L, seeing where you're blowing it, and then also diving into the customer service aspect.
1: Yeah, yeah. What people don't understand, and I totally identify with that, Brian, is that people don't understand like when you own a business or you're running a bi- you're partnered in a business, exiting out of that business equitably for yourself and also equitably for the business is really hard. It's really, really hard. And it takes a tremendous amount of planning. What are some of the areas that you had to focus and kind of dig in your heels to get yourself fit for exit?
0: The First thing is you have to remove emotion out of it because mm-hmm. you've built this baby that you've carried for 10, 20, 30 years, and now it's time to let it go. And you want to micromanage everything on such a l- crazy level. You can't, you got to just trust the process, make sure your financials in order. And that's the hardest thing for a lot of people. They're running personal expenses through the business. They don't know how to do ad backs, adjust EBITDA and all that good stuff mm-hmm. and it's a real learning curve for a lot of people that they don't understand. And if you don't have the right direction, you're going to be paying your CPA a small fortune.
1: What are things going forward in, in your, in your world that really, really create excitement for you over, let's call it the next two to five years.
0: Having some downtime to just sit back, pick my nose and do nothing. <laughs> A constant. you know i'm sure you're the same way you wake up first thing in the morning you look at your phone and you're like oh great 10 messages for yeah. people that i don't want to deal with but mm-hmm. i have to address it before i even roll out of bed and i just want those days to kind of end right now and just have some time to relax rebuild you know focus on my health and get stronger
1: Question came in from David Hammer. With an ever litigious society, what legal advice would you give a young building entrepreneur that you wished you had been given when you first started out? Good question, Dave. Uh, Form a company that
0: your CPA recommends, LLC, Inc., structure it however they best see fit, given for that business. And the next thing would be do not commingle assets with the company. Make sure the company runs as a company and you take a draw. And write that check to yourself and do whatever you want with the money, but do not use your company as your own personal piggy bank, as they will be able to pierce your corporate veil, which a lot of people are like, Oh, I have a corporation. Did I do my minutes? Did you do this? Did you do that? And luckily I've had really good mentors along the way, but I've seen friends get burned that way pretty
1: easily. Who are some people in business that you model after? Uh,
0: David Meltzer, Dan Fleischman, um, Probably those two, just the way I like the way they live their life, how they're always helping, how they're always giving back. You know, Dan's always doing his elevator nights, spending millions of dollars, giving free entrepreneurship uh, lessons and really helping people. And I really look after both of those people and how they operate their businesses.
1: And with that in mind, with um, what are some causes that you're passionate about that you're doubling down on?
0: Um, So I'd probably say animals and giving back to special needs.
1: I love that. What, and what area of special needs?
0: Uh, same thing. I went through uh, special ed and all of that good stuff. And then also helping people who ha- are dealing with um, substance issues, abuse issues, and all of that stuff, and really having someone to talk to, because I didn't have that growing up. Uh, the school system eventually figured out that I needed counseling and they provided a free counselor for me and really helped me through it. But the thing I wasn't happy about is they were trying to force meds of, you need to take this, you need to take that. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't need meds, dude. I just need this nonsense in my life to stop. Mm -hmm. And I kind of want to start something called the step before the 12 step, because I chose to go left instead of right. I don't drink I'll do a birthday shot with people just to shut them up. But Mm -hmm. other than that, I'm not drinking with you. I'm not getting shit-faced. I'm always the designated driver. Um, I'm 180 pounds. One shot's not going to phase me.
1: (laughs) The step before the step, folks, you heard it here first. Have you you branded that? Because that is genius. I absolutely love that. And by the way, my partner, Rob Gill, um, who wasn't able to join us this evening, um, is um, by the grace of God, one day at a time, sober over 25 years and incredibly proud of that. And he shares that every single day. Um, and, you know, what would you, I think, I think it's so important because I do think that past experiences shape future decision-making. You said that, you know, listen, you, you know, you're 180 pounds, one shot's not going to hurt you, but you make the decision to live your life in a specific way, absent of drugs, absent of alcohol, but just making specific decisions. What is a day in your life look like? What is your routines? What's your morning rituals? So up until
0: a year ago, I was a fat boy, I was 260 pounds. And so I'd wake up, eat breakfast, and then go about my merry way doing whatever. Uh, I chose to do the gastric sleeve a year ago during COVID. Good for you. Now I wake up and it's like, okay, I got to eat something. And now my hardest task of the day when it comes to eating is getting in 80 grams of protein when your stomach's this big. Yeah, sure. So uh, first thing I do is slam a protein shake, get to my computer, answer emails for an hour and a half, then eat again. And then I set meetings for around 11 through four. And then I have a newborn. So I try and get home, help the wife. Obviously the baby doesn't want me. It only wants her. So I try my <laughs> best to accommodate her. That doesn't
1: and change still, by the way, brother. <laughs> yeah.
0: I still balance everything else that's going on with work. And like, I, I was at my attorney earlier, rushed home for this. And then I have a seven thirty dinner meeting. All the way on the other side of town so it never stops and i still got to go to the market for her run certain errands like even though i'm successful i don't want someone else raising my child so i mm. prefer to make other sacrifices of time and sleep in order for my child to be raised by her mother her grandmother
1: and myself incredible incredible and i honor you and i honor the day in and day out not only responsibility of parenting right but the responsibility i mean you're parenting two things right you're parenting your business and then you're parenting at home right and also is you're you're recognizing the impact and the importance of the most important job that there is which is domestic engineer right so honoring your wife as well right is your in, is your wife is in the workforce and she's not in the workforce she's not that's what i thought um, <laughs> quit
0: i don't yeah Luckily, I work hard enough where she doesn't have to.
1: That's, yeah, God bless, bro. Two peas from the same pod. Uh, Question came in from Parker Russo. Uh, Do you do any coaching? I do do some coaching. Um, I coach people for free for the first
0: week or two just to see if we're a good fit for one another. I'm not going to ask anyone for money up front just because I want to make sure we mesh well and I'm able to help you in the areas you are. And then from there, it's a sliding scale depending
1: on how much help someone needs. What does the next five years in Brian Goldstein's life look like? If besides laying back and picking the nose brother, right? Because a guy like you is not going to sit, like no, you're shooting, yes. you're driving around shooting guns at the exact same time. You're not going to sit still. What does that look oh, like?
0: I got, I sit home for longer than a couple hours. I get ants in my pants. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so really moving forward with that step before the 12 step to help people and give back and talk about my story more and wow. not necessarily just the business side, just, the life struggles and overcoming everything that I've overcome over those times and allowing it to push you to do other things, growing the social media a little more and working with other brands to create more fun content. And then from there, just focusing on the companies I've already started and really watching them grow and really pushing some energy back into it.
1: Amazing. Amazing. Folks, this is Infinity X given stages and microphones to human excellence. You have the opportunity to have Q&A with the one and only Brian Goldstein, who is just doing massive, massive things in uh, social media space and obviously different verticals. And, um, you know, I'll tell you one question that I always love to get the answer, um, Brian, is, you know, at some point or another, to quote my partner, you're going to shuffle off this mortal coil, right? What what type of legacy is important to you to leave behind? Like, what do you want to be known for?
0: The guy that's not afraid to take his shirt off and give it to the guy that's freezing next to him.
1: Have you ever done that?
0: I have not. I um, haven't run into that situation, but I have ran into a situation where I'm at the market and the guy in front of me runs short. And I just say, drop it on my tab or seeing the homeless guy stare through the window at the restaurant and being like, giving the restaurant 30 bucks and saying, give the guy
1: whatever he wants. Not because you feel like you need to, but because you can, right? Yeah, because I can.
0: It's yeah. it's not a need. You know, I can blow him off and keep going. Um, and it's selectively helping those in need because you got the guy standing on the corner, but you got that other guy that you know has a mental issue that really can't do it or can't really get above. And obviously you hand them money, they're going to go drink, use drugs, whatever. But if I can put a hot meal in their stomach or some clothes on their back, I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, as somebody who has, um, 1.8 million people that are interested in what you're up to, which when you say that, I mean, do you ever stop and say that out loud to yourself and say, Jesus Christ, you know, like, 1.8 1.8 million, a million people essentially per week are really are you're you're reaching out to you're hitting you have built that stage and microphone right. Yeah. Um, what what do you think you know as a parent now, and as an influencer, you have a massive responsibility, right? I always say that when you you know we always have to as influencers, and I wouldn't by any means fashion myself as an influencer on your level, although watch out everybody, Epic Financial Strategies were coming, but you know, we are, our our influence is much wider and our stage and our microphone is much grander than it was before. Has your approach or do you see your approach towards your message and your influence changing now that you're a parent? I do. And along with,
0: you know, my whole story itself, um, David Meltzer has been pushing me to tell my story as well. And just people don't talk about that. They only talk about the good times, not the $100 million lawsuit or the struggles here having to borrow money to pay for this or living on the couch. Um, You know, some months not being able to pay your rent and then having to try and catch up next month. People don't talk about those struggles. And I feel like social media has really made it hard for people and they have all this FOMO. And all these young girls are looking at all these other girls traveling the world and wondering why I can't travel the world and doing things they shouldn't be doing in order to travel the world. And it's it's kind of sad to really see the way social media has affected people. Yes, it's done a lot of good, but in the same respect, it's also done a lot of harm to a lot of people. And even in my household, I don't want my daughter staring at an iPad. I don't want her staring at our cell phone. When the TV's on, she's facing me. I don't want her getting any of that and being addicted to any of that. Maybe around eight, nine, we can discuss it. But until that point, I want her to, you know, play, go outside, run, mess with the dog. Like, do things that we did as kids that everybody's forgotten about now.
1: Do you find, yeah. And do you find, I I totally identify with that because I mean, I have three kids of my own, right. And now I have a full gamut. I got a 17 year old, right. Who is in her own space, right. Then I have a seven year old and I have a three year old. And I, I would say my 17 year old is probably much more even keeled and balanced because she had sports growing up and she had a number of different things in her world where she's much more balanced between social media and non-social media time right where she's focusing on job and having fun and you know play, she plays tennis things like that versus my younger ones where their whole world everything is centered around TikTok right is centered around YouTube kids and social media and 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 Sometimes I look at it and I say, you know, my daughter's name is Charlotte. I'll say, Charlotte, go outside, go have some fun, you know. But then I also look back and I say, I am looking to accelerate and strive and build a larger stage and a larger mic for me to put out my message to more people how could i have the expectation of the next generation and my kids to not want to build off of that right i want to kind of take the control back and take right so do you ever have that moral conflict number one brian and then number two like how do you approach that
0: So that's a really great question that's never really been posed before um If your child is building off of your base, your talk show that you've built to a certain level, getting them integrated on talking to people, interviewing people, I think is an amazing lesson. Teaching your child not to be afraid of public speaking. I wish my parents forced me to do more public speaking growing up and really allowing them to flourish so they don't get scared. Um, But that's also tailoring what content they'll be doing. And so if you're using your podcast, for example, and interviewing people, that's great. I don't want to see your children doing silly, stupid TikTok dances going, oh, this is the new cool thing. Like, yeah, yeah, I get it. People are getting famous from it. But by the time you're old enough for that to make money, it's no longer going to be there. It's going to be something else. So learn how to work with your hands. Do arts and crafts like you don't want to go outside and play. I'm going to force you to work on fun stuff that's still making your, br- your brain exercise.
1: With that in mind, you just brought up a really, really good point. The crypto world is changing right now. I am—I'll be the first to put out there, folks. I'm not a fiduciary, right? I have been a fiduciary in the past. Um, I am no longer a fiduciary. I like to market in social media, right? I don't—I uh, I don't have that. We do have a fiduciary division here at Epic Wealth Management, um, but I am not a fiduciary, and I do not endorse nor make recommendations on anything specifically, something like crypto, but. It is a thing, right? Crypto is something that is very, very relevant in a lot of households. One of the things in crypto that is coming up is, and I'm I I, I can't recall um, the the acronym for it. It's something like NFM or something of that nature. Um, but what's your, you know, are are you doing anything in the cryptos? NFTs, NFTs is what it's called. Um, have uh, do, Have you done anything in that space? Because I would imagine that somebody like yourself has some options in that. So it's been offered to
0: me. And at first I was kind of skeptical and now I'm realizing I need to jump on some of it. And I don't need to go crazy. I'm talking about investing a couple thousand dollars and really seeing how that grows from there. I'm not gonna be like, hey guys, go drop a hundred grand. Until I test it, I don't know. I'll risk a couple thousand. You know, I'll risk dinner money for the month. I don't care. But outside of that, I'm not gonna take a huge leap until I really do my homework and really know the ins and outs of it.
1: Got it. Stage and microphone for human excellence. We are Infinity X. This is Brian Goldstein. We do have a question that came in for you, Brian. At what point in your life did you embrace your own idiosyncrasies? Really good word, Dave Hammer. Good for you. Idiosyncrasies and get comfortable in your own skin when society kept telling you you may not be fitting into the, in the traditional sense.
0: I'd say right around 18, 19, I said, fuck it. I don't care what other people think. And I'm going to do what I want. And it started younger, but it didn't really mold completely till 18 or 19 and really just not giving a fuck and pushing forward. All my friends were just outside playing and, you know, going to clubs, doing all that stuff. And I was like, no, I'm going to push. And I don't care what any of you think. Judge me all you want. I'm going to do what I want to do.
1: What is a stage that if you were given one chance to speak on, would it be? Coping with substance abuse, love that, and obviously I know uh, I can I can identify with that. But um, it, 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 coping with substance abuse is such an opportunity to put out a message of experience, strength, and hope, right? And the fact that you want to put out a message that you know if you make specific decisions, now I don't even want to say specific decisions because it's such a it's such a slippery slope with it being a disease. I am the child of an alcoholic as well, right? So I, you know, I can certainly identify um, with, with what that looks like. But um, without creating a spoiler alert, if you could give me a 10-second commercial on how you would embrace that audience, what would that look like?
0: something on the long lines of, are you struggling with being happy? Are you struggling with dealing with your home and do you dread coming home? And that's, you know, yourself, the biggest fear is coming home and just have the unknown. Yeah. And it's such a fucked up feeling of coming home to that and not really knowing, are they sober today? Are they drunk? How drunk are they? Are they violent today? Um And that just leaves such an uneasy thing in your stomach. And fortunately enough, I've been able to use that where I'm not afraid of anything. need to step in front of a bullet, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's given me the no fear mentality because of how rough my childhood was growing up. But yeah, I'd say that's it in a nutshell.
1: You know, I was listening to national public radio of all things this morning, (laughs) Uh, you know, Alexa, give me a, you know, give me an update on what's happening in the markets kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And one of the stats that I heard this morning um, that I found really, really, really interesting is that enrollment in higher education is, um, is, is right now down year over year about I, I want to say it was like 37% from this time last year to this time, you know, to, to today. Um, and it is actually very, very specific with the um, the community colleges, right? The community colleges were typically the ones when you when you had uh, challenges economically, right, post-2008, et cetera, where you saw people flooding. They were looking for new outlets and they were flooding into higher education, What's your opinion? Because, again, as a parent, right, um, I would make the argument that the higher education, you know, in, you know, institution as a whole is like Swiss cheese with the amount of holes that it has, has in it. But there are some merits to it. But what's your opinion about higher education for kids? Is it something that you would want your kids to take a look at? Um, it, it, are you doing it for yourself? What's your, what are you th- as an entrepreneur? Right. But what are your thoughts?
0: My biggest thing is I'd rather pay for my kid to go to three-day seminars, MBA program, all of that kind of stuff, and really broaden their horizons that way and forcing them to read two books a month based on business or whatever subject they really want to learn on Mm -hmm. and going after credible people. Because I feel like the ideologies behind some of these teachers that are teaching stuff is their ideology. It's not yours. It's not what you want. And I saw one of my friends recently post something where he was in a bunch of parent teacher conferences because he has four kids. So he was there all day. Yeah. And the teachers were complaining his kids talk too much. They think outside of the box too much. They don't know how to follow all these rules. And he's like, no, I don't want my kid to be a square. Like I want my kid to ask questions. I want them to question things. I want them to learn things. And it's just kind of crazy that schools are teaching that. And they're limiting your creative growth. It's not like when we were kids where you could really think outside the box. And I was in science fair all the time and doing all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, really pushing the envelope, I don't feel is there anymore. And they just want you to kind of be a robot, for lack of better terms.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you brought up something as you were speaking there that uh, I really, really key in on as well is that. For years, I've argued that financial, or excuse me, that higher education institutions, while teach wonderful, wonderful things about tax, will teach wonderful things about corporate finance. Um, I don't feel as though. I at least I have never really seen an institution that gets people prepared for having a emotional relationship with money when they graduate, number one, and really the ins and outs of personal financial education, either as it pertains to business or just in your own personal finances. But right? what is what is your attitude? Um, obviously, because, you you know, we always say that there are two emotional relationships with money, either scarcity or abundance, right? And I think that we all go through scarcity mindset and it's easy to do when you're growing up, when you're growing up, if you don't have a lot, or if you do have a lot, right? Whenever you're making a decision, is this the right decision? Am I operating scarcely or I'm operating from a standpoint of abundance? Number one, how do you feel that you approach your relationship around finance? Is it one from abundance? Is it one from scarcity? And then what do you want to impress on your kids when it comes to financial education?
0: Uh, I would say my parents instilled in me scarcity growing up. And so I would still say scarcity. Yeah. I have all the cool toys. I bought all the cool stuff, but you still need that piggy bank and you still want to prepare for that rainy day. And like I mentioned earlier, I feel a crash is coming. So can I use my piggy bank to stock up on supplies that I personally think are going to come short and have enough to get me through the next six, eight months. And it's not going to hurt me financially. And that's me being part of that scared mentality or scarce and just making sure that I have enough for my own family to provide
1: and whatever that might be. Excellent, excellent. Next question that came in was from Joe Lord. First of all, he said, Brian, I feel like we're brothers from another mother. <laughs> I was always into race car driving. Actually, I can vouch for that. I do know Joe Lord and he is um, a grease. He's, he's definitely a grease monkey, that's for sure. Um, but as well as being an introvert and avid gun supporter. Okay, so uh, Joe, I'm finding out things about your left and right brother. But your question is, what was the defining moment for you uh, or self-realization you experienced that motivated you to launch your career into the stratosphere, besides uh, uh, having the throne to the empire, going from non scalable business into something that has manifested itself into what has become your passion and legacy? There's a lot to unpack in that question there. Uh, Joe, thank you for it, brother. But uh, what's your take on that, Brian?
0: So the thing that launched me into the stratosphere was 18 or 19, maybe 20, and was having a meeting with my dad, some other people. And my dad walked out of the meeting, turned at me and said, look, you're never going to amount to shit. You're never going to be shit. And we didn't talk for a while after that. Hmm. And when I heard that, and I was already successful at that point. And I was like, okay, my own father's saying this, fuck you, I'll show you. Yep. And I've accomplished stuff on his best year was by was a two month deal. And so I squashed his, his limits by a landslide. Was that really motivation? Yeah. Looking back, do I wish we dealt with it in a different way? Yeah. Cause now my dad's dying and we don't have that relationship and it is what it is. I can't mm-hmm. change it. I've accepted death. And so it's taking that negative into a positive, but not letting it get to your head in a way where you're not good enough, because I did let it get to my head in a way where I thought I wasn't good enough for a lot of things. And after years of counseling and doing other things and trying things outside of the box that isn't normal for a lot of people, I feel I was able to overcome a lot of that. Love Love I don't know if that answers your
1: question, Joe. You know, I, I, Joe just wrote, I can relate so much to that. Thank you, Brian. And, and, you know, a thing I can relate to quite a bit, Brian is, um, you know, I, I would say from a personal perspective, I really kind of had a moment last year, really over the last 12 months where I came out of a shell because I lost, my lost, um, uh, my father to COVID and, uh, and Alzheimer's disease in July of last year. And, you know, while, You know, you go through that and you look at and you say, "Okay, here are all the things I didn't do with him. Oh, my God, here, you know, like I wish I would have said this to him. I wish I would have done that with him. I wish that he would have done this for me. I wish he would have done that for me. I will say that as as that has gotten a little bit further into the rearview mirror, I'm starting to recognize personally anyway, you know, as as a father, as a person and certainly as a professional that. I've now started to shift my focus personally onto the things that are important to me for me, as opposed to the things that were important to me in their mind, right. Or in their eyes. Right. And that's just Dave Harder personally. Right. But Brian, when you look as you, as you look at what you've created, right. And as you look at what you're creating, what is it that excites you about what you're doing, either from a financial perspective or, a, or from a creation standpoint that's for you personally, that, you, that, that excites you?
0: So to your original point of you know, what's clicked for you, my biggest thing, my new motto in life, which has occurred over the last couple of years, is not my problem. And what I mean by that is, hey, your problems are your problems. They're not my problem. And I'll do my best to help you. But at the end of the day, I'm making it abundantly clear. It's not my problem. And you need to take this on yourself. Now, if it affects me and my immediate family, then it's my problem. But outside of that very small circle of three people, not my problem. And I've really focused on doing what's best for me and my family versus what's best for someone else, usually, which is how I used to do it. I used to wear my heart on my sleeve and give whoever, whatever. And it. Back me into a couple of difficult decisions or bad moves that I wasn't very
1: happy about. We are Infinity X, where we give a stage and microphone to human excellence, megapreneurs, people that are just doing outrageously cool shit in the world, people like Brian Goldstein. And Brian, I have just had so much fun with this conversation. I mean, you're just up to so many different, really, really awesome, incredible things. And I want to thank you so much for being vulnerable um because i think it just breeds authenticity there's not an unauthentic bone in your body brother i could tell that from the first 30 seconds of the phone call but the vulnerability about what happened growing up the vulnerability about what you were feeling when you got thrust into a situation where you had to take over a multimillion dollar business at 17 years old which i can't even i can't i if I was put into that position at 17, that place would have just caught on fire the moment that I walked in there. Because seriously, it would—I wouldn't have had a damn clue what I was uh, what I was doing. But everything that you've pivoted, the entrepreneurial spirit is just—it's just remarkable. And I just—I see you in my future, brother. I would love to have additional conversation with you after about some things that I think would be really neat and exciting that we could that we could um, explore as companies and as people together. But. Um, You know, I I, I, first before I forget where, uh, Brian, can people find you both on the web, on Instagram, on YouTube? Let's get that into the chat, guys. Okay.
0: so YouTube, Instagram is Brian Gold, Ph.D. Um, You can reach me on either. Instagram is probably the easiest. The team checks that the most because YouTube's usually just comments on video Um, or you can email support at Brian Gold, Ph.D. and someone will review the message and then forward it to me and then I'll get back to you.
1: Have you or have you thought about or have you written a book? I have thought about it. I have not written a book.
0: And I feel mm-hmm. like that would be the yeah. next step to overcoming some of those, not fears, but some of that leftover resentment and just really finally letting it all out.
1: You know, I tell you what, if it hasn't, it hasn't been taken, you got to copyright that step before the 12th step. And I'm telling you, man, I'm telling yeah. you what a book, what yeah, a book a that
0: right guy in the morning.
1: Yeah, please do, man. I'm telling you, you know, one of our partners is Dolph DeRuze and he's, he's written a book or two, you know, but boy, I'll tell you, he would have been, if he was here with me, he would have had a million different com- uh, questions for you around why you should write a book and, and, and why you haven't at this point, because your story you is always, just magical. We'd always do another episode with him. Uh, let's do it, bro. Let's do it, man. I'll tell you what, I can speak to you yeah. for three hours. I'm just not going to be in your time integrity. I got all night, you know?
0: <laughs> and I As you know, I can talk forever, you know, you're easy to talk with and I love all the questions everybody has and I'd love to be back on if you'll have me and um, you just
1: let me know where and when, my friend. You can count on it, Brian. We are Infinity X giving stages and microphones to human excellence, creating infinite sales opportunities by merging ecosystems and creating conversations with people like Brian Goldstein. Brian, before we finish up here, any final finals on anything that you want to just impart on the good folks that have still remained with us business, personal, anything. Final, final, brother. Even on your worst day, don't give up. And with that being said, just drop the damn mic. Seriously. (laughs) And no, no question about it. Um, Brian, it is, it's, it's been an honor. It's been a real, real honor. And I will absolutely reach out to you after this. We'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll definitely, it's the chat is blowing up saying, bring Brian back, bring Brian back. So we're going to have to go for a round two, brother, I think. All right. For sure, my friend. Yeah. So folks, again, thank you for everybody who has uh, joined us this evening. We are InfinityX. Uh, we're here every Tuesday from 7 to 8 p.m. giving stages to human excellence like Brian Goldstein. And uh, uh, Brian, again, from the InfinityX community, from myself, my partner, Rob Gill, Epic Financial Strategies, we want to thank you. We wish you continued success and we see you in our future, brother. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon, buddy. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Everybody have a wonderful night. We are Infinity X. We will see you next Tuesday. Everybody have a great night. Bye -bye, guys.
0: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Infinity X. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube by searching. We are Infinity X until next time.